0: This episode features descriptions of medical afflictions and terrorism that some people may find disturbing. We advise caution for listeners under 13.
1: 63-year-old Bob Stevens was a jovial Englishman, always ready with a pint and a smile. In 2001, he worked as a photo editor for the American Media Inc., or AMI, in Boca Raton, Florida, where Bob
0: lived with his wife, Maureen. AMI was the parent company of several tabloid newspapers, including the National Enquirer and The Sun. Bob considered his job there fulfilling, and he especially enjoyed his AMI colleagues.
1: On September 19, 2001, several co-workers gathered around Bob's desk for their daily check-in. They often bonded over the quirky letters their magazine readers sent in.
0: The tabloids received a steady stream of Elvis sightings and photographs of flying saucers. They were also privy to celebrity fan mail that never reached its destination. Today, the mail included a large package addressed
1: directly to the sun. According to some accounts, it had a number of unusual contents. An empty can of chewing tobacco, a small box of detergent,
0: a cigar, and a letter. Bob's co-workers watched as he unfolded the envelope. When a white, powder-like substance reportedly fell onto his desk, Bob hardly would have noticed. Instead, some said they saw him hold the letter up to his face so he could read it more clearly.
1: Allegedly, some claimed it was yet another marriage proposal to Jennifer Lopez, and Bob and his co-workers had a good chuckle. Fifteen minutes later, The letter was in the trash. Bob wiped the powder from his desk and continued his day.
0: Little did he know, he was the first victim of a rare and lethal biological weapon that would terrorize the nation.
1: When our bodies fail, we trust doctors to diagnose the problem. But medicine isn't always an exact science. Sometimes it's a guessing game with life-or-death stakes.
0: This is Medical Mysteries, a podcast Original. I'm Molly.
1: And I'm Richard. Every Tuesday, we'll look at the strangest real-life medical cases in history and the experts who raced against the clock to solve them.
0: As we follow these high-intensity stories, we'll explore medical research that might solve the puzzle.
1: You can find episodes of Medical Mysteries and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. To stream Medical Mysteries for free on Spotify, just open the app and type Medical Mysteries in the search bar.
0: This is our one-part episode on anthrax, a potentially deadly bacterial infection that can be mass-produced as a biological weapon. A case of respiratory anthrax had not been seen in the United States for a quarter of a century when Bob Stevens contracted the disease in the fall of 2001.
1: This episode will examine how Bob's flu like symptoms turned deadly. We'll also trace the journey to his shocking diagnosis and how one man's illness created widespread panic in the wake of 9 11.
0: We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us.
1: Ryan Reynolds here
2: from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down.
1: On Thursday, September 27, 2001, one week after the alleged Jennifer Lopez fan mail and just a few weeks after 9-11, Bob and Maureen Stevens drove to North Carolina to visit their daughter, Casey. The weekend was full of physical activities like
0: hiking, swimming, and fishing. Three days after their arrival, 63-year-old Bob felt like he had come down with a terrible cold. He was shivering and feverish. On Monday, October 1st, Bob woke
1: to find his pillow drenched with sweat. Yet despite Maureen's insistence, he didn't think it was necessary to go to the hospital. He assumed it was just a mild bug, nothing to worry about. Bob even said he felt well enough to make the drive back home to Florida.
0: But halfway through the trip, Bob's symptoms reappeared. Only now, they were getting worse. Bob was feeling fatigued. Still, he tried to hide his chills and sweats from Maureen.
1: He managed to drive the 10 hours back to Lantana, Florida, but by 8 p.m., Bob's temperature was at 101
0: degrees. At 1.30 a.m., Maureen woke up to the sound of Bob retching in the bathroom. When he came out, he was clearly disoriented, thinking it was time to leave for work. He proceeded to wander around the house Babbling incoherently. Bob's altered mental
1: state could have been indicative of many serious conditions, including meningitis. Maureen was likely worried about a more common ailment, such as a stroke. She rushed him to the emergency room at the John F. Kennedy Medical Center in nearby Atlantis, Florida.
0: At 2 a.m., Bob Stevens was evaluated by the doctors on call. He wasn't showing signs of a drooping face arm weakness, or slurred speech that would normally have indicated a stroke. There were also no signs of congestion or respiratory symptoms to signify pneumonia.
1: Bob's fever, vomiting, and mental confusion made
0: doctors initially consider bacterial meningitis. Meningitis is the inflammation of the meninges, or membranes, that protect the brain and spinal cord. It can occur when a bacteria or a virus reaches the brain via the bloodstream. Among other damaging effects, the inflamed blood vessels of the meninges increase pressure on the brain and slow the flow of oxygen. Meningitis can lead to serious complications like seizures,
1: gangrene, and internal hemorrhaging. Because meningitis progresses rapidly, Suspected cases are treated immediately with antibiotics, even before doctors have reached a formal diagnosis.
0: This was exactly what happened with Bob. Doctors gave him a series of intravenous drugs, yet, they didn't seem to help. Bob's temperature and pulse remained high. During
1: the first two hours after arriving at the emergency room, he fell in and out of consciousness. Doctors continued their efforts to nail down a firm diagnosis, which would allow them to treat Bob more effectively.
0: The problem was, he didn't have all the telltale signs of meningitis, like a stiff neck or blotchy rashes. So the doctors decided it would be best to page Dr. Larry Bush, the infectious disease specialist at the JFK Medical Center, for a closer look.
1: Immediately, Dr. Bush requested to see the results of a previously ordered lumbar puncture, or a spinal tap. The test could conclusively rule out meningitis. In this procedure, a needle is inserted into the lower back to withdraw a sample of fluid that surrounds the spinal cord. This cerebrospinal fluid, which is also present around the brain,
0: is then analyzed. Dr. Bush was looking for one of two types of meningitis, Viral or bacterial? He knew Bob was experiencing confusion, which was typically only present in bacterial meningitis. So viral meningitis was quickly ruled out.
1: Typically, a sample of healthy spinal fluid appears clear, but when Dr. Bush took Bob's sample, it was cloudy. This meant that Bob had a buildup of infection-fighting white blood cells in his spinal fluid, already a red flag. So Dr. Bush sent the sample to the lab for a process called gram staining.
0: Gram staining is a quick method for identifying bacteria into two groups, gram-positive or gram-negative. As the process is carried out, the bacteria will either turn pink or purple, depending on the structure of its cell wall. Any pink
1: bacteria is considered gram-negative. There are dozens of microbes in this group, including Salmonella, which can cause food poisoning. Bacterial meningitis can either be gram-negative or, in a few distinct cases, gram-positive. The microbes in Bob's spinal fluid turned purple.
0: This meant that Bob's bacteria was gram-positive, eliminating many types of bacterial meningitis.
1: Dr. Bush now had to discover what gram-positive microbe Bob was carrying. Luckily, there aren't many gram-positive bacteria to rule out. Things like staphylococcus and streptococcus, the germs responsible for staph infections and strep throat.
0: Narrowing down the field would take several hours, time Bob Stevens didn't seem to have. By 2.30 a.m., his fever was at 102.5 degrees. Meanwhile, Bob's doctors ordered a chest x-ray. The scans revealed infiltrates in his chest cavity, as well as a widened mediastinum. These findings were also troubling. The mediastinum is the area between our lungs.
1: This region is surrounded by loose connective tissues and is home to some of our most vital organs, like our heart, esophagus, trachea, and thymus gland, which is part of the body's lymphatic system.
0: This area between Bob's lungs had swollen beyond typical boundaries. Normally, it's the shape of an elongated teardrop. In Bob's case, it looked like he'd swallowed a cloud. A widened mediastinum can be caused by a
1: thoracic aortic aneurysm, which, if untreated, can rupture and quickly
0: lead to death. With so many abnormalities in his test results, it was hardly a surprise to doctors when Bob suffered a massive seizure at around 3 a.m.
1: Bob fell into a coma shortly thereafter. He was intubated and put on a ventilator since he could no longer breathe for himself.
0: At this point, Dr. Bush knew that some gram-positive bacteria had caused the illness.
1: But as Dr. Bush examined the Gram stain under a microscope, he noted another important finding. Bob's spinal fluid was swimming with a number of rod-shaped bacteria
0: called bacilli. This narrowed down the field of bacteria considerably. There are two species of rod-shaped bacteria that are most commonly harmful to generally healthy people. The first is bacillus cereus, which causes two types of food poisoning.
1: Dr. Bush didn't equate this to Bob's case. Food poisoning usually sets in quickly while the gastrointestinal system works, often violently, to purge itself of the microbes
0: responsible. Once the toxins are cleared out, the body begins its recovery. But in Bob's case, he had felt progressively worse over the course of three days and he hadn't experienced intestinal issues until the last minute, just before his wife took him to the hospital.
1: It seemed Bob was suffering from something far more severe than food poisoning. And the only rod-shaped bacteria that could cause Bob's severe symptoms was Bacillus anthracis, more commonly known as anthrax. This bacteria causes infections of the skin, lungs, and intestines, and unlike most food poisoning, could lead to death.
0: Dr. Bush knew the chances of Bob contracting anthrax were slim, but his symptoms suggested otherwise. As a preventative measure, Bob was given a powerful dose of penicillin to combat the potential disease.
1: On the afternoon of October 3rd, 2001, Bob's fever hit 104 degrees. His heartbeat was irregular and he was
0: still in a coma. Dr. Bush went to the waiting room to update Maureen. So far, there had been nothing but bad news, and now the doctor warned her that Bob was unlikely to overcome the infection.
1: Dr. Bush still had no idea about the white powder Bob had allegedly come into contact with 11 days prior, and he knew how rare anthrax poisoning was.
0: But he couldn't help but wonder if Bob had been specifically targeted in some way. And if so, was he just the first of many?
1: Coming up, the complicated history of anthrax poisoning. Hey, Parcasters! Looking for a more light-hearted listen? Then I've got the perfect podcast for you. The new Spotify original from Parcast called... Incredible Feats. Hosted by comedian and podcaster Dan Cummins, Incredible Feats is a daily show spotlighting true accounts of mind blowing physical strength, mental focus, and bizarre behavior. Join Dan every weekday as he goes behind the scenes and into the achievements of everyone from free divers and body modifiers to ultramarathoners and moms. Incredible Feats is offbeat entertainment that's sometimes weird, sometimes wonderful, and always surprising. Search Incredible Feats and follow free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring
2: our prices down.
1: On September 27, 2001, 63-year-old Bob Stevens seemed like a perfectly healthy man enjoying his family vacation, but by October second, he needed a machine to help him breathe. It appeared to doctors that he was suffering from a rare and deadly bacteria known as anthrax.
0: Anthrax is an incredibly versatile bacteria that has traditionally been known to enter the body three different ways through the skin, the gastrointestinal tract, and the lungs. When the bacteria enters through a break in the skin, it is called cutaneous anthrax. This is the most common form of the disease. After
1: an incubation period of one to seven days, small painless bumps appear on the skin. It enlarges as it fills with fluid, turning it into a blister. If the bubble bursts, the toxins are released.
0: A black scab made of dead skin tissue appears in the center of this irritated ring. This is where the disease gets its name, anthrax, the Greek word for coal.
1: A majority of anthrax sores appear on the face, arms, neck and hands, areas of the body that are commonly exposed
0: and most vulnerable. The next form of anthrax is gastrointestinal. It can occur when someone eats undercooked meat from an animal that carried the bacteria. The microorganism infects every part of the gastrointestinal tract, from the mouth to the colon. Swelling and necrotic ulcers develop on the stomach, esophagus, and small intestine instead of the skin.
1: Within a week, a patient infected with intestinal anthrax will usually experience vomiting, diarrhea, and abdominal pain.
0: But Bob appeared to be suffering from the third form of anthrax, inhalation. This is the rarest and most deadly form of the disease. And although it usually takes about a week for signs to appear, incubation can take as long as two months.
1: That's because the right conditions have to be present inside the body before the bacteria can activate. Once it germinates, the first symptoms start to appear.
0: Symptoms of inhalation anthrax typically begin in the lungs. It then multiplies and spreads throughout the entire body via the lymphatic system and bloodstream.
1: The lymphatic system is a complex network of small vessels that help fight infection. A fluid called lymph circulates through the body. Bacteria can often be found in this fluid as it makes its way towards the bloodstream via the lymphatic vessels. Along the way, The fluid passes through small, bean-shaped lymph nodes. These organs are responsible for the production of white blood cells called lymphocytes, which are essential to the adaptive immune response. When foreign bodies are detected, the lymphatic system releases activated lymphocytes and antibodies specific to the
0: pathogens. However, when anthrax enters the lymph nodes, it's not destroyed. According to some researchers, Anthrax actually germinates in the lymph nodes, resulting in an increasing number of bacilli. The bacteria can then spread throughout the bloodstream, secreting a toxin composed of a dangerous combination of proteins with names that sound like comic book villains. Lethal Factor,
1: Edema Factor, and Protective Antigen. This deadly trio can destroy the organs, muscles, and nerves. All three forms of anthrax can be treated with antibiotics, but they must be administered early to effectively destroy the bacteria.
0: In Bob's case, it was already too late. By the time he'd reached the hospital, the anthrax had ravaged his organs irreparably. Two days later, on October 4th, his lungs and kidneys were shutting down despite the high dosage of antibiotics.
1: Approximately 15 days after his exposure to anthrax, Bob's wife and children steeled themselves for the worst. Meanwhile, Dr. Bush was trying to understand how Bob could
0: have possibly been exposed. In his 14 years at the medical center, Bush had never seen a case of anthrax outside the pages of a textbook. The last reported inhalation case in the United States was back in 1976, when a California weaver died after working with imported wool.
1: By 2001, anthrax was hardly ever found in nature, and definitely not in America, where livestock was regularly vaccinated for the disease.
0: As far as Dr. Bush knew, Bob hadn't been exposed to any farm animals. This made the situation all the more suspicious. If Bush was going to report the bacteria to the health authorities, he needed to make sure he had an official diagnosis first. In
1: order to confirm Bob's disease, Dr. Bush cultured the rod-shaped bacteria. A sample of the spinal fluid was placed in a petri dish and left to grow or colonize on something called
0: agar. Auger is made from red algae and has a consistency similar to jelly. It's useful because bacteria such as Bacillus and thracis are unable to harm or degrade the auger in the growth process. So it's essentially the most effective way to perform this experiment.
1: Six hours after Bob's sample was placed in the auger, bacteria colonies were growing. These cultures were transferred to a slide and put under a microscope for further examination.
0: Bacterias have their own distinguishing behaviors. Bacillus cereus, the food poisoning bacteria, is very active and can be seen swimming around under a microscope. Bacillus anthracis, however, doesn't move. Instead, it waits dormant until it finds its host.
1: Unfortunately, the bacteria found in Bob's system was not moving. Dr. Bush noticed this characteristic in the gram-stained sample of cerebrospinal fluid, and it was soon confirmed by the medical center's clinical laboratory.
0: Despite anthrax's scarcity in modern society, the disease has been around for thousands of years. One of its earliest descriptions may date back to around 1491 BCE.
1: In that century, a terrible sickness was killing livestock like horses, camels, oxen, and sheep. In fact, historians have linked the fifth and tenth plagues of Egypt to an outbreak of anthrax. It's possible the epidemic was even mentioned in the biblical
0: book of Exodus, where it's referred to as the pestilence of livestock. The likely cause of these plagues wasn't identified until centuries later. In 1876, the microbial cause of anthrax was conclusively identified by German microbiologist Robert Koch. That's the same scientist responsible for detecting the microbes behind tuberculosis and cholera. Dr. Koch pinpointed
1: the rod-shaped bacteria in a blood sample of an infected farm animal. And more importantly, he discovered that when healthy mice were inoculated with the bacteria, they quickly contracted the disease. Furthermore, he found that anthrax produces spores which allow it to remain dormant for long periods of time. Think of these spores like sturdy eggs, protecting the baby anthrax until they were ready to hatch.
0: Impressively... Those spores can survive the harshest of conditions, including extreme heat and cold. For a long time, as a result of human exploration, they were present on all seven continents.
1: Anthrax first infected wildlife and livestock before making its way to humans through contaminated meat and fur. It was found on farms and in mills where animal products
0: were sheared or processed. Between about 1837 and 1879, anthrax was called wool sorter's disease. The blood of slaughtered sheep bound anthrax spores to wool, and the bacteria stuck to the wool, even after thorough washing. Those spores were then inhaled by humans and other animals, but more commonly, the bacteria entered the body through cuts on the skin.
1: By the 1880s, anthrax was a critical problem for humans and livestock alike. So Louis Pasteur, a French biologist, set out to develop the first anthrax vaccine.
0: Pasteur cultivated bacteria from the blood of anthrax-infected carcasses, including horses, cows, and sheep. He then gave 31 different animals two shots of his anthrax vaccine, which he had made from weakened anthrax bacteria.
1: After he'd administered those two rounds, Pasteur waited a few weeks. Then he injected those same animals again with live anthrax bacteria, ready to attack. Miraculously, all 31 of those animals survived. A separate control group of animals that hadn't received the vaccine, but which had been infected with the active bacteria, didn't do so well. After three days, 25 out of 29 animals had died.
0: An inoculation for the disease was born. Today, widespread vaccination of livestock, as well as improved sanitation, has essentially rendered anthrax extinct in the natural world. So, it was baffling when anthrax spores found their way into Bob's lungs.
1: And on the heels of the recent 9-11 terror attack, Dr. Bush felt that this sudden appearance of anthrax was not coincidental. Rather, it seemed intentional. Coming up, the possibility of a bioterror attack terrifies the nation.
0: Now, back to the story.
1: On October 4, 2001, Bob Stevens was in a coma unable to breathe on his own. Dr. Bush, the infectious disease specialist at the JFK Medical Center, had finally eliminated the possibility of all other known bacteria. Bob had evidently been exposed to anthrax. But Dr. Bush still
0: wasn't sure how. It was no secret that anthrax could be used as a bioweapon. It was first tested back in World War I, when Germany infected enemy livestock.
1: Following World War II, the United States developed a particularly virulent strain of anthrax that was marketed and sold as a toxic agent to countries around the world. In 1972, the Biological Weapons Convention Treaty was introduced and it has since been ratified by at least 170 nations. The treaty bans the manufacture and stockpiling of this deadly bacteria.
0: However, Dr. Bush was well aware that the threat remained. He knew it was time to alert the Centers for Disease Control, and in the wake of 9-11, he felt strongly that Bob's exposure was a deliberate bioweapon attack with lab-produced spores. In
1: order for a virus or organism to be classified as a bioweapon, it generally has to meet certain qualifications.
0: First, it must be easy to spread or transmit. It also needs a ready vaccine to protect whoever is working with it. Second, it must cause chaos and panic. And last, it must be deadly.
1: Anthrax fit the bill because it was easy to grow, exceptionally sturdy, and very difficult to kill outside the body. It also had no odor, no
0: taste, and was extremely hard for someone to identify. Anthrax also has the advantage of a potentially long incubation period. It can take up to two months for symptoms to appear, making the disease very difficult to trace.
1: The most effective way for anthrax to be spread is for it to be aerosolized, converted into tiny particles that are sprayed throughout the air. Aerosolized anthrax, depending on particle size, can travel up to 30 miles before it reaches its host.
0: In order for anthrax to be aerosolized, spores ideally need to be ground down to between 1 and 5 microns. For reference, the average width of a human hair is 50 microns in size, so really tiny.
1: But since humans are typically resistant to small amounts of the bacteria, a terrorist would likely need thousands of spores to cause significant damage.
0: Hence, the aerosol. The manufacturing process also requires a giant centrifuge to wash the bacteria before it undergoes an intensive drying process. Then, it has to be milled down to inhalable particulates.
1: Cleanup is also extremely difficult. Even high-strength bleach is ineffective at destroying anthrax spores on surfaces.
0: Contaminated clothes must be boiled for 30 minutes with additional disinfectants or burned to kill the bacteria. Otherwise, those spores could go on to infect someone else, like a lab tech's wife or kids who haven't been vaccinated for the disease.
1: Overall, manufacturing anthrax is a grueling operation. Not to mention, it requires extensive scientific knowledge of microbiology, as well as thousands of dollars of sophisticated equipment. Meaning weapons-grade anthrax isn't cooked up in the back of a van.
0: Richard O. Spurzel was the chief biological weapons inspector for the United Nations Special Commission from 1994 to 98. He believed that it would take at least a year to make high-grade anthrax, even with a fully staffed lab. He said, in my opinion, there are maybe four or five people in the whole country who might be able to make this stuff, and I'm one of them.
1: But none of this information could save Bob. The best that could be done now was to wait, hope his condition improved, and track down just what had happened.
0: On October 4th, 2001, epidemiologist Brad Perkins of the CDC arrived in Florida, accompanied by several colleagues. Their mission was to retrace Bob's steps leading up to his hospitalization.
1: The authorities searched Bob's home, the lake where he liked to fish, and the stores he frequented. They swabbed everything of interest and sent it back to the lab for testing. The next day on October 5, 2001, Perkins was notified that a mailroom employee of American Media Inc. was at a nearby Miami hospital with what initially appeared to be a bad case of pneumonia. His name was Ernesto Blanco. On the morning of October 1st, Ernesto woke up with his heart racing. He was having trouble breathing when doctors pumped him full of antibiotics. They also drained bloody fluid from the space between his lungs and chest wall. Samples from this fluid eventually came back positive for bacillus anthracis.
0: Once the connection was made between Bob and his co-worker, the American media building was closed. FBI agents scoured the premises, swabbing everything from the offices to the ventilation system. And everyone who'd entered the building in the past two months was told to report to the health department for testing.
1: Over 700 people waited in line that October to have their nostrils swabbed for anthrax. Each person was also given antibiotics as a preventative measure.
0: That same day, Brad Perkins of the CDC personally inspected Bob's office. He suspected that the anthrax entered the building through the mail system.
1: Maybe Bob received a letter, opened it, and spores went flying across his monitor and keyboard. On that hunch, Perkins swabbed Bob's equipment and sent the samples to the lab. They came back positive.
0: Just a few miles away, Bob Stevens was still on a ventilator. He was receiving antibiotics intravenously, but no dosage of penicillin could save him.
1: His lungs had partially collapsed as a result of the disease, and that day, October 5th, he suffered a cardiac arrest and his
0: kidneys finally shut down. Bob Stevens was pronounced dead. He was the first victim of inhalation anthrax in 25 years. But would he be the last?
1: Upon further investigation, the FBI found that Bob Stevens lived only one mile from the Lantana Airport, the same facility where the 9-11 terrorists learned to fly. This only caused more panic and speculation as people started to connect the two events.
0: Then, by October 8th, the FBI found that it wasn't just Bob's desk that was covered in anthrax. It was also the mailroom at AMI. Anthrax spores were even present in Ernesto Blanco's mail van.
1: Meanwhile, anthrax was rearing its ugly head in other parts of the country. On October 12th, NBC News anchor Tom Brokaw's assistant, Aaron O'Connor, tested positive for cutaneous anthrax. Aaron had opened a letter from Trenton, New Jersey, that was postmarked on September 18th, just a day before Bob allegedly opened his.
0: On October 15th, Senate Majority Leader Tom Daschle announced that anthrax was found in his office in Washington, D.C. Again, stemming from a letter postmarked in Trenton, New Jersey.
1: A total of 11 people contracted inhalation anthrax in the fall of 2001. The victims were located in Florida, Virginia, Washington, D.C., New York, and Connecticut. Only six of the 11 survived,
0: including Ernesto Blanco. But while the survivors of inhalation anthrax were grateful to be alive, Some still suffered from debilitating effects three years after their exposure. Patients reported crippling fatigue, shortness of breath, joint pain, chronic headaches, low-grade fevers, and memory problems long after they were cured.
1: The physical ramifications weren't the only lasting damage. The psychological elements were just as painful. Post-traumatic stress disorder was common amongst these anthrax survivors, causing symptoms like nightmares,
0: anxiety, and disturbing thoughts. And inhalation anthrax wasn't the only kind going around. Another 11 people developed cutaneous anthrax from the attacks. Luckily, the blackened sores on their skin could be treated more easily with antibiotics. They all survived.
1: Meanwhile, the United States government was struggling to connect the dots. They knew they were looking for someone who had access to this particular strain of anthrax, which, as we mentioned, may have previously been made in the U.S. and sold around the world.
0: The FBI also believed that they were looking for an American with an agenda, a normal citizen looking to sow chaos.
1: Then, in 2002, the FBI's investigation led to Dr. Stephen Hatville, a former biodefense researcher for the military.
0: Hatville worked a consulting position for Science Applications International Corporation in Reston, Virginia. This company provided information to the government on topics like biological weapons defense training. In 1999, Hatfield contributed to a report on the possibility and logistics of an attack using anthrax. This report was discovered by investigators. It detailed how an enemy might plan a terror attack, and it was a notably similar blueprint to how things had unraveled. Suddenly, Hatfield was a person of interest.
1: Yet Hatfield insisted he was innocent. He adamantly denied having anything to do with the attacks claiming he'd only done his job in commissioning the report. Nonetheless, Hatfield was villainized by the media, and his life was turned upside down.
0: Hatfield was deemed innocent, and he later sued the government for defamation. In 2008, his case was finally settled and his record cleared. The government would eventually pay him $5.8 million over 20 years for his grievances.
1: It was shortly before this time, in 2007, that investigators focused their interest on another former government employee, Bruce E. Ivins. Ivins was an Army biodefense expert and renowned microbiologist, and he'd initially helped the FBI with their
0: investigation back in 2001. Ivins had been studying anthrax for much of his career, which extended back to the 70s and he had a wide knowledge about the bacteria. Unlike Hatfield, he also could easily access anthrax samples.
1: The FBI hired scientists to compare the strain of anthrax found in Bob Stevens' office to the ones in Ivan's lab. Among the samples, they found an exact match and learned that Ivan's was one of a small number of researchers that had access to the materials.
0: The FBI also claimed that Ivins used the same sort of language in letters they discovered in his home as was present in the letters to AMI. On top of that, he'd allegedly submitted false evidence to FBI officials back in 2001 in what some saw as an attempt to throw them off his scent.
1: Following the attacks, Ivins reportedly grew anxious and depressed. He turned to blogs and forums to post violent messages. His therapist also claimed that Ivins showed a history of homicidal thoughts and plans.
0: Unfortunately, Ivan's would never see his day in court. In July of 2008, he died of an overdose. Authorities never found a singular motive, but some suggested it may have been due to an alleged cut in his department's funding. However, such arguments have faced pushback from some of Ivan's co-workers.
1: The FBI also said Ivan's was experimenting with new anthrax vaccines and may have staged the attacks to drum up public fear. He may have hoped this would refuel the funds for his research.
0: In 2010, the FBI, the Department of Justice, and the U.S. Postal Inspection Service closed the investigation for good. Despite never having a fair trial, they felt Ivan's was responsible for the attacks.
1: Several members of Congress contested this, insisting that even if Ivan's were responsible, he couldn't have executed the attack alone. They believed further investigation was needed into his accomplices.
0: Regardless, the FBI had made up its mind. It was never confirmed whether Ivan's was guilty, a scapegoat, or a combination of the two.
1: Unfortunately, this meant that Bob's family would never get the closure they deserved. Maureen Stevens never learned for sure who murdered her husband
0: or why. Perhaps the 2001 anthrax attacks were an isolated event, a cruel science experiment gone haywire. Then again, they could be a cautionary tale, a reminder that any one of us can fall victim to a biological attack if we aren't vigilant of our surroundings.
1: Until that mystery is solved, remember to keep an eye on your mail. Thanks for listening to Medical Mysteries. For more information on anthrax, amongst the many sources we used, we found the websites of the UCLA Department of Epidemiology and the New England Journal of Medicine extremely helpful to our research.
0: You can find all episodes of Medical Mysteries and all other podcast originals for free on Spotify.
1: Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, But now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite ParCast originals, like Medical Mysteries, for free from your phone, desktop or smart speaker.
0: To stream Medical Mysteries on Spotify, just open the app and type Medical Mysteries in the search bar. We'll see you next time. Medical Mysteries was created by Max Cutler and is a ParCast Studios original. It is executive produced by Max Cutler. Sound design by Michael Langsner, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Travis Clark. This episode of Medical Mysteries was written by Karen Shook, with writing assistance by Allie Wicker and stars Molly Brandenburg and Richard Rossner. Listeners, you don't want to miss Incredible Feats,
1: the all-new Spotify original from Parcast. Host Dan Cummins free falls straight into the weirdest, wildest achievements of all time. New episodes air every weekday. Search Incredible Feats and follow free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts.